This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Back for another week of the College Football Fix with Paul Meyerberg. I'm Dan Wolken. Paul, how's it going? Everything okay? Everything's great. Thank you for asking. We rarely ask that question when we get started. You never really ask how we're each doing. I'm doing great today, Dan. How yeah. are you doing? Uh, pretty good, you know, just uh, spent the weekend uh, watching some football, blocking some Tennessee fans on Twitter. Pretty normal. Um, there was a moment on Saturday, I noticed, because I was on Twitter.com, where you were like, hey, I can't watch the, the Bullets game. The Bullets game. I can't watch the Wizards game. Um, and and some guy was like, look at this, like, typical Dan Wolken college football writer, like, not watching – like watching a basketball game on a Saturday, I saw you had to put him in, had to put him in check. Um, so that reminded me when you talk about blocking people, that's what you had to, that's what you have to deal with. Yeah. First of all, there's like just sort of an obvious concept going on here, which is that you can be interested and watch more than one thing at a time. And typical of like big sports Saturdays, especially with the NBA season just starting. Uh, yes. I have like five screens that I can watch at once. If one of them is not on a college football game, I think that's okay. Uh, the other thing people were mad at me for Saturday was that I said that the noon window of games was not all that attractive, uh, which, you know, you you immediately get all the, why do you hate college football? We should just be appreciative that we get to watch college football every Saturday. They're all beautiful. No, they're not. They're not all beautiful. I'm sorry. There are good games and there are bad games. There are Saturdays, like this past weekend, where all of the good games that you want to watch were at 3.30, Mm -hmm. and the 12 o'clock games were not very good. I wish, in my perfect world, if I were like the czar of everything, I would kind of have one awesome game at noon, one awesome game at 3.30, and then you know one or two awesome games in primetime, but that's not the way it works, but yes, people are ridiculous. Great, Great weekend, all in all. Oh, that, that escalated very quickly. Um, hey, uh, Trey Young, not a fan. We, we mentioned NBA at the start of this. I don't like Trey Young. I don't like his face. I don't like his haircut. I don't well, that's like because style. you live in New York, and New Yorkers, I don't like the way he walks. New Yorkers like he are talks. obsessed with Trey Young. They're chanting F. Trey Young at Yankees games <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, it's crazy. And, of course, he owns New York. I, that's my thing. Hey, but it, just to put a cap on the NBA conversation, I think this year, um, I'm going to become a global, I don't mean global, I mean a national NBA fan. You know, I watch a lot of MSG, which is the local station here. Yep. I watch a lot of Knicks. I think this year I'm going to, I'm going to really watch a lot of basketball. And I, and then this will be it. I watched uh, the Lakers play a 10:30 game. I watched everybody on the court other than LeBron miss every single open shot, and I just had a blast watching it. It was like. Fun. It was like watching uh, Tennessee before this season. You got a little bit of joy out of seeing someone suffer so much. Um, so anyway, I'm going to start watching more NBA. We can we can dip into the NBA a bit and make correlations between NBA teams and, and college football <laughs> the rest of the way. Well, the NBA is great. It's I'm so glad it's back. It's been a lot of fun early on, but it's a marathon. These teams have played like three games. They still have about 79 yep. to go. It's a long season. All right, here's what I want to do this week. I want to go conference by conference and anoint as we get into uh, November, the dumpster fires of the year in college football. And the reason I want to do that is because this morning I saw a tweet from Billy Lucci. Billy Lucci is the proprietor of uh, texags.com, which is a website and message board that covers Texas A&M. And uh, he posted late last night after I'd already gone to sleep, saw it when I woke up this morning. When it rains, it pours. I've been told at least three and perhaps four A&M players have been suspended indefinitely by Aggie head coach Jimbo Fisher, all from the true freshman ranks. I think this tweet, I mean, I don't have confirmation, but I trust Billy Lucci's reporting that this is accurate. I think this tweet seals Texas A&M as the dumpster fire of the year, not just in the SEC, but in all of college football. Um, we already basically saw it last weekend 
when Texas A&M lost to South Carolina to fall to three and four overall, one and three in the SEC. Uh, they still have Ole Miss. They still have uh, LSU. They still have Florida. So there are probably a couple more games that, that they could lose. Um, Jimbo Fisher is a very rich man because of Texas A&M. And that will be true no matter how many games he loses because they have no buyout. They just have guaranteed a full 10-year, $95 million contract that we're only in uh, basically you know, the second year of. And now we learn that this great recruiting class that was the best in the history of college football, according to some people, that allegedly was built through NIL payments and collective efforts, you might say, is now uh, kind of falling apart. Am I overreacting in calling Texas A&M college football's dumpster fire of the year? I don't even know who else is in that conversation. Like we can be really like wonky and geeky and talk about like teams that are, that are also underperforming or have been disasters, but none of the teams that we could even throw into that conversation uh, come close to the hype that A&M entered the season with. And I think that's an important marker to keep in mind. We talked about A&M and we have since that 2020 COVID season, that's kind of knocking on the door and this is the year and this is the time and they've got the QB, whatever. Um, we gave them a lot of hype in the preseason top 10 for them to be three and four losing to South Carolina, uh, you know, losing games. They should have won multiple times, probably not going to get past six wins. I'm going to finish second to last, probably in the SEC West ahead of Auburn. There's no, there's no other team in that conversation. I think this is the undisputed unquestioned dumpster fire of the season. Um, and it's to a point, Dan, I think, where sometimes bad seasons can have a stink and they can follow you and they can define you. I think that this season could be bad enough that it's going to put a stink on Jimbo and it's not going to really go away. But this is going to be the year that ended up defining this entire tenure is this season. And that's that's a lot of money to pay to lose to South Carolina. I made the point on Saturday at the very minimum for $95 million or 9087, whatever the number is. At the very basic minimum, show up to work and beat South Carolina. And that's pretty much like what you need to do at the very minimum. Everything else after that comes next. But that's like just show up, beat South Carolina for that kind of money. Yeah, you'd think it should be pretty easy. Not easy, but uh, Texas A&M had never lost to South Carolina, I don't believe, since joining the SEC. Uh, Texas A&M has all the advantages over South Carolina. It doesn't mean you're going to win every single time, but this was all symptomatic of the fundamental problem we've seen since the beginning of the season, they just don't have a functional offense. And, you know, obviously Haynes King uh, got hurt at some point. They have to switch to Connor Wegman. Um, I don't really think that made that much of a difference. I mean, they were down 17 to nothing right out of the gate. I think now, though, the thing we're going to be looking at with Texas A&M is like how many of these guys transfer from this Ballyhooed recruiting class? Do they, um, you know, sort of go somewhere else? Um, what kind of coaching changes are going to be in the offing for Texas A&M? And more globally, like if you want to zoom out even more, what I'm thinking about is, is this team going to become kind of the poster child for NIL gone wrong? You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. again, there's disputes about how much NIL had to do with Texas A&M getting this recruiting class. Obviously, the Saban comments from the summer got a lot of attention. I don't think it's like really a secret that NIL had something to do with some of these players who, you know, it's not like it's not like they got a bunch of these guys from Houston, right? I mean, they were literally from all over the country coming to A&M. NIL had something to do with it, right? I think we can we can agree with that. Saturday night, as A&M lost that game, I got a text message from a longtime college coach. Um, not going to say who it is, but a name that everybody listening to this podcast would know. You know prominent name in, in the college coaching world. And said this to me. Guaranteed they're having NIL jealousy in that locker room. 
with the NIL kids versus the veterans who are just kind of getting it the old fashioned way and the ones mm-hmm. who aren't getting anything. Um, there, you know, there's other teams going through this uh, where, you know, on maybe a different team, the NIL all went to kids in the portal, you know, rather than the freshmen. I, I just, again, and I'm not, I, I have the cheerleader for NIL. I think NIL is awesome in terms of what it can do for some of these guys and, and, this has always been a right that college athletes, in my opinion, should have had. But I do think there is something to the idea of large amounts of money going to teenagers who are, by definition, some of the most unreliable people in the world, right? And so you're you're giving an 18-year-old a lot of money. Some of them are going to be equipped and mature enough to handle it. Some of them aren't. Some of them are going to be entitled. Some of them aren't. Um, some of them are going to not work as hard. Some of them are going to work harder. Like you just don't know exactly how it's going to go and you don't know how it's going to play in a locker room. And I do think it would be foolish not to at least allow for the possibility that the way A&M has handled NIL and just take that for what it's worth has had some impact on where they are right now. Yeah, and this was a fear, Dan, that a lot of coaches brought up and a lot of ministers brought up, and I'm sure to you and to, and to a lot of other people, about what the dynamic would be in the locker room. I'm not going to say any one of us poo-pooed it, but we had to see it for ourselves. Like, you know, we had to see it in action. And I would hesitate to blame NIL for being three and four. But right. when you're three and four and you have this in the background, it's, it's not conducive to a friendly environment. Um, and I don't think it's conducive to building the chemistry you need to to like kind of blend in this incredible recruiting class with incumbent players, incumbent starters, 23-year-old, 50-year or 60-year seniors. That requires a delicate hand that clearly Jimbo is not prepared for. And I don't think any coach is prepared for it because you don't have the experience. So I think they're kind of learning on the fly. Um, from a recruiting perspective, I like I think about Mac Brown's last couple, maybe four classes at Texas. Yeah. When they could get anyone. And they would get everyone on campus in February and March, and they would complete that class. When you can get anyone, as A&M could get and did get, I think it's hard It's hard to pick the right people. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, no, it you is. Can get, you're, not, you're not finding people who fit you. You're finding players who fit you. And I think the best coaches in the country, even Nick Saban, will say uh, performance and personality. I mean, maybe performance is 60% of it, but personality is 40% of it. And I don't know if the personality is working right now for Texas A&M. That's like, I think quarterback play and that kind of stuff might be tip of the iceberg, important. This is why we're three and four. But underneath the water, I do think there is, this could be, like you said, the the embodiment of the worst fears of coaches and administrators that NIL has wrecked havoc on this locker room. And has made it into a situation where I don't I don't know if it can be reversed. We'll know more. I mean, Billy Lucci is to name one guy who at the end of the season will give us a postmortem on what happened with AM this year. I would be surprised, like you said, if it wasn't at least part of it, uh, as things started to spiral, NIL and jealousy and that kind of issue coming to the forefront, which um coaches get paid millions of bucks for a reason, and they've got to handle this because NIL obviously isn't going anywhere. I don't think anybody in the Alabama locker room begrudges Bryce Young for being, you know, in national commercials and getting however much money he's getting. And I don't think anybody begrudges, just as an example, like, you know, the the coldest Crawford commercial, you know, which is like a fun Mm -hmm. local thing that ties into his name and all this kind of stuff. Like all that stuff is awesome. And that's what NIL is supposed to be. I do think that, there is a danger in, all right, we're going to have this, you know, five-star wide receiver and we're going to give him half a million dollars. And that's the only reason he's here. He would not be here without for any other reason other than that. And maybe it just doesn't go that well for all kinds of reasons. System, fit, you know, doesn't like the classes, doesn't like his living situation, um, you know, whatever it is, Right. Things happen when these guys get on campus that is different than what they thought it was going to be in the recruiting process. And when you have that sort of major money in the background, my my supposition has always been 
that NIL would kind of sort itself out in the long run because some of these fat cat boosters who are putting the money into these collectives are going to get very tired very quickly of giving 18 and 19 year olds this big pile of money and then they come on campus and either they're complete busts, they're just not that good, or they get in trouble or they're malcontents or whatever. And see, if I, you know, again, all these guys love their program and they all want to win, but I know if it was me, I would not want to put my money toward that over and over and over again to just flush it down the toilet. And I think that's what some of these guys are going to be dealing with as you get into year two and year three of this thing. Yeah, I, put your money in the bank, uh, please. Well, or at but, least basically, at least like give it to an guys. NFT. Well, at least give it to guys who've done something. You know, transfers, right? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, like you're sitting at you're in you're in College Station, and like your daughter's like, "Hey, Dad, which guy did you pay for?" And you're like, "Oh, uh, number thirty-one. He's not dressed today. He hasn't made the travel roster." Uh, he's he's sitting on the bench there. He's he's on his phone. You're like, oh, that's a good way to spend a quarter of a million bucks of your oil money. Um, yeah, you're right. Market will correct itself, and guys won't pay for the Spencer Rattlers of the world if they don't think they're going to start. Um, but that doesn't help Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M has dug this hole, and I think this hole is Jimbo needs some shovels. Hey, you know what? Is we need to uh, really like just quickly on Jimbo. You mentioned what they're going to do this offseason. They need to spend a million and a half dollars on offensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Do you have a name? Do you have somebody that you would suggest? Uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Google.com. NCAA football stats. And just go Go down down to expanded stats. Go to yards per play and then go to town. I mean, just cold call. Just go down the list and cold call. Go get Garrett Riley from TCU and double his salary. I mean, it's not even that complicated. You just don't do it yourself. Just, just give up. Just go. Just give, give up play calling. This offense is so bad and so predictable and such an embarrassment. It's just indicative of, of how embarrassing Texas A&M has been. All right, let's uh, go to the ACC. Dumpster fire of the year candidates in the ACC. Uh, I think we could put Louisville in that mix. So they've won two in a row. Uh, Boston College, they're two and five. Virginia Tech is two and five. They are awful. We knew they would be. Get to the team that we want to talk about. I think we have to give it to the Miami Hurricanes. There's no question about it. They're, Miami, proud, proud Miami, proud, beautiful baby Miami. In the last couple, three weeks, has lost to Middle Tennessee State and Duke. Yeah, in both games, they've given up 45 points in both games. Um, this is not quite Texas A&M, dud at three and four, but uh, we're already at the point where Mario Cristobal postgame is talking about, we need, you know, tough kind of people here. This is not for the weak. This is not for the faint hearted. You know, he's already last seen of Braveheart trying to rally the troops. We're in a bad spot for Miami, I think, with Mario. Um, this is not the way we thought this year would go. It's hard to change a culture and all that stuff, all those buzzwords coaches talk about when they get in. Mario is trying to play a style of football at Miami that he probably doesn't have the personnel for, right? But you also have to be somewhat flexible and understand as a coach who you have on your roster, what they can do, and then try to fit what you're doing to the strengths of your team. And it just doesn't really seem like – it doesn't seem like those guys are having a lot of fun right now uh, playing football and – yeah. I, I I don't want to like say it's never going to work because I don't know that. Like I do think Mario does some things well, and I think they have the resources as, as a program and obviously the location and geography to fix this. But when you look around the country and see what some of these first-year coaches are doing, including, by the way, Duke with Mike Elko, who just beat them, mm-hmm. it doesn't take five years anymore to, to show that you – can make an impact. And the impact that Mario's made so far in Miami has been negative. It only takes five years when you know that you have five years. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like when you know you have five years, all of a sudden you're like, well, I got to redo the bathroom and I got to do the downstairs. I got to caulk the windows. I got to, you know, I got to go out and get some mulch. 
those are the guys who, who when they have that leash, they'll take five years. Um, some guys are just wired differently. Sonny Dykes, um, like we've talked about, he has like a playbook that is on the back of a, of a menu. It's like seven things uh, that you can do a thousand different ways. And he just wants to run and have his offense and have fun and, you know, all this other stuff, whatever. We're just going to play pitch and catch. Um, Mario has the leash to, like, break everything down to the studs and rebuild it and bless him. He has that job security. But you want to see something better than this. Like, I, even if you have the excuse of, oh, I need a couple years to do it, doesn't mean that you have an excuse to go back to five and seven or six and six. I, don't, I just don't understand that, the appeal of that, like, the tear down completely. I don't, I just don't know. This team is better than that. They were not deserving of being top 17 in the preseason, but there's more talent on this team, including at quarterback than what you're seeing at three and four. They have more talent than Duke. They have more talent than Duke. Let's. Yeah, definitely. And it's a commitment and a chemistry and a, and a toughness issue. And maybe he's right on the last part, but uh, when Duke with a first year coach after really struggling at the end of coach Cutcliffe's career to come in and whip you like that, it really, just like it's a slap in the face to everyone who has bought into this mantra of we need to build this thing the right way. Well, what is Duke doing? Can we borrow their blueprints? Because they're obviously doing it in a better way than we're doing it. So that's really frustrating to me, and it's almost borderline inexcusable. It should never be this bad. All right, the Big 12 uh, dumpster fire of the year conversation. Interesting and and tough call here. Um, You've got Texas, which can't stop blowing double-digit leads. I think Baylor's been a pretty big disappointment based on what I thought they were going to be in the preseason. You have Oklahoma, which is four and three and just not very good. Um, and then you've got Iowa State, which is 0-4 in the Big 12 and cannot win a close game. Who you got here? Because I think this is not quite as easy as we might think. No, it's not. And I, I don't want to give it to Iowa State. You got to win these close games, but when you're when you're zero and four and each loss is by a possession or less, it's or, not a dumpster like fire. Point. Yeah. yeah, it's hard for me to make that case. I think we got to go Oklahoma. West Virginia is a is a program in decline. Yep, they're very hard to predict, but they do have moments like they did against Baylor a couple Thursdays back where they can blow up on offense. I think it's OU, if only for the fact that since two thousand they've owned this conference. Um, this year they're going to finish fifth or sixth. I mean, at best fourth, I guess, in the league standings. Uh, that is my pick. But I, I could listen to West Virginia, and I could even – I could maybe be convinced about Texas or Iowa State just because of the disappointment of not closing. But to me, it's OU. I think I agree. I think Brent Venables I, – I saw our buddy Stu Mandel did a thing last week just talking about the fact that you know his whole contract is guaranteed – and I know he and Bruce talked about it on their podcast, how crazy it is that Oklahoma gave a first-time head coach that contract that's fully guaranteed, when really it's not like the whole world was clamoring to hire Brent Venables as a head coach. Uh, oh, There was an obvious connection with Oklahoma uh, because he had been there before. It, it starts to look like, hey, were they negotiating against themselves and giving him you know this massive deal? But you know, at the same time... Like, this is the standard sort of head coaching contract right now. And I think it's going to take somebody in an AD position the next time this thing comes around to say, we want to hire you and we'll make you really rich, but we're not going to give you a six or seven year contract fully guaranteed when we really don't know what you can do in this job. Um, So... I think all those factors kind of point more toward Oklahoma, and I, th- I think you're right there. I think this is the hardest one. I think the Big Ten is extremely hard because there are so many dumpster fires in, in the Big Ten that, yeah. like, you could just burn down, like, entire states at this point. Um, I think you got to factor in Northwestern t- to this conversation. Not that it's a program with high expectations every single year, but, like, they are really bad, really bad. Michigan State, total bust, another crazy contract given out. And looks like not going to be a lot of return on that investment. Uh, Indiana's taking a bunch of steps back. Minnesota's tanking right now. Nebraska, Nebraska, I mean, 
they're a little bit better ever since Mickey Joseph took over for Scott Frost, but it's still a massive dumpster fire. But I got to give it to Iowa as the dumpster Mm -hmm. fire of the year in the Big Ten. What a joke that program has become. This offense is so bad. It's become fun. By the way, Michigan State to me is number two. And I was thinking back um, to that. We talked about this on the podcast when we all were invited out to spend the weekend <laughs> and smoke cigars with Mel Tucker. Yes. I mean, at the rate we're going, I'm going to get an email this winter like, hey, can Mel Tucker come hang out with you? Like, can he come to Brooklyn? He'll bring cigars. He'll bring like two glasses of wine. Can he come? And you could write about um, it's Iowa because we've drifted away from bad into this is history. This offense is historically bad. And I think that makes them, in a strange way, either the the best story in the Big Ten or the worst for now. At least in the moment, they're the worst story in the Big Ten because this offense is so bad. There's almost like an aura around how bad it is. Like you turn on an Iowa game and you just don't know what you're going to see. And then, of course, it's all undergirded by the fact that the offensive coordinator is the head coach's son. And that sort of offers a level of protection, I guess, that other offensive coordinators in that situation would not have. And I do think, like, the fact that nobody has gone into Kirk Ferentz's office and said, dude, this can't happen. Like, we have to to fix this. We have to change it is bizarre because this is not a family business. It's a college football program, right? And he's not the first head coach who's hired his son. You know, we saw it with the Bowdens. We've, I mean, we, this is an old thing, right? This has happened many times before in college football. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know that it's ever happened sort of this stubbornly or gone this poorly for this long without any sort of indication that the head coach is willing to step up and say, yeah, we can't do this anymore. I want to know what practice looks like. You know what I mean? Like what's happening during the week in practice that has convinced this coaching staff from Ferentz on down that, okay, we can roll out with what we've been doing on Saturday. Like we can continue this. We had a really nice practice on Tuesday. Are they good during the week and then bad on Saturdays? Because when you watch this team on Saturdays, um, it's like they just picked 11 guys out of the stadium and just said, just can you just do some things? Here, run the play where you do the button hook. I'll do the thing where I run five yards and then go to my right, and you do this. And it's honestly backyard football in terms of its complexity and its execution. So I want to know what's going on during the week. Um, but this is a in like another layer of it. It's not just the offense is bad, Dan. It's that the defense is so good that if you could just team a mediocre – like the defense is so good that if you put in like 20 – 17 Iowa offense, just like the mediocre standard Iowa offense. This team is romping through the Big Ten West. And they're probably putting the fear of God in an unbeaten Ohio State or Michigan in a Big Ten championship game. But the offense is so bad that they're going to go five and seven with a with an elite defense, like a top five, top ten defense. So that that like doubles the disappointment for me. Big decision coming up in the offseason for Ferentz. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't envy him, but you can't move forward with this. Just not, I mean, this isn't news. Like, you can't. It's not tenable. The offense is historically bad. They've got to make changes. All right, so Iowa is the dumpster fire of the year in the Big Ten. Uh, In the Pac-12, you know, I really would have put Stanford here, but they Mm -hmm. have won the last two weeks. They they won at Notre Dame 16-14, to and they beat Arizona State 15-14. to So I think Mm -hmm. by definition, that makes Arizona State the dumpster fire of the year in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, for for any, I mean, there's there's more than one reason. Yeah, Arizona State, Colorado. We knew Colorado was going to be terrible, so I, I wouldn't really give it to them. Yeah, Arizona State, like they lost the battle with Stanford to lose fifteen to fourteen. Is uh, is an achievement. And then I think if we do a group of five dumpster fire of the year, I think there's a few candidates. I mean, South Florida just cannot get it together under Jeff Scott. And they're 0-3 uh, in the American. They're 1-6 in uh, overall. And, like, they just they just don't win games, like, period. It's bizarre. 
Um, and it's unfortunate because uh, that's a program that, that should be a whole lot better. Um, I think Nevada is, oh my gosh, is a candidate. They are bad. Colorado State. Although they're mm-hmm. two and one suddenly in the league, although I'm not sure what that says. It's Colorado State. We knew, yeah, uh, because of what Adazio had left that with Jay Norvell, that it was going to take a little bit of process. I think the way they've played recently, they haven't been pretty wins, yeah. Um, but they lost to Sacramento State by a lot in yeah. September, so they've gotten better. I'm going to rule them out. Nevada to me, is it Nevada or Nevada? It's, and it's, it's Nevada. Yeah, Nevada, of course. Uh, they're to me like one of the biggest disappointments in the group of five. No question in the mountain West, they get the, they get the award. All right. So that's the uh, dumpster fire of the year awards in college football. Let's uh, talk about a couple results from last week that I thought were crucial to framing where we are and where we go from here this season. Um, we saw LSU beat Ole Miss pretty handily, which was not a surprise. And I think that, kind of places Ole Miss where they belong in in the discussion. They're they're not going to be, you know, that 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 playoff type of team. Um, we saw Clemson beat Syracuse 27 to 21. And really the interesting storyline here was DJ Uyunglele played horrible and Cade Klubnick gets in. And then afterwards Dabo Basically says there's no quarterback controversy. DJ's still our guy. And I actually believe him because it's not like Cade Klubnick came in and set the world on fire. Clemson won that game because they they were able to run the ball. They were able to totally stop Syracuse from doing anything offensively in the second half. And frankly, because there were some officiating uh, mishaps that uh, went against Syracuse. All of that adds up to 27-21 Clemson, but, you know, it's like we're back where we were like several weeks ago. Clemson wins the game, and there ain't no, but how good are they? And, you know, I just don't really feel like they're on the level where if they get into a playoff, it's going to be competitive at all. Yeah, I don't feel that way right now either, and I feel worse about it after Saturday. The, the the quarterback thing, I want to talk about before the game last week when Dabo said along the lines of, well, all those folks who are criticizing DJ and criticizing what we're going to do at quarterback and asking about it, well, shows what they know. And then he yanks them in the third quarter a couple days later. Um, that's not a big deal except for the fact that, you know, Maybe don't call people out for questioning your QB play when you yank them in the third quarter. The, the big difference, and you nailed it on Club Nick, this isn't 2018. No. In 2018, when uh, Trevor Lawrence was sitting on the bench, I had been hearing, everyone had been hearing for months, that every time Trevor Lawrence steps on the field, he makes Kelly Bryant look ridiculous. Like, he's just on a different level. He makes throws that no one else is making and whatever. Like So it, that was just a countdown. Um, he's just a kid. He's 18 years old. He might be a five-star club, Nick, but he's not ready for this. Too skittish, uh, no pocket awareness right now. He's got a lot of potential, but it's silly to think that he would take over the job. Um, moving forward, I just I, I, I don't worry about DJ's mental status. I think he's a strong guy mentally and, and obviously physically, um, but I wouldn't blame anyone for playing with a little bit looking over your shoulder when you know that you can get pulled like that. So that's my question mark going forward. I thought Notre Dame would be their biggest test the rest of the way. I, I guess it's going to be Syracuse. Oops, sorry about that. Um, I guess it's going to be Syracuse and not Notre Dame. I guess, but um, this was a this was a way closer call than you expected from Clemson. That raises more questions than it provides answers at this point, heading down the stretch. Yeah, and it's interesting because right now they're they're number five in the coaches poll. And Clemson is going to get the benefit of the doubt from voters because of their pedigree, uh, and maybe that's deserved. But I, I think when you like look at Clemson eye test-wise and you try to envision them playing two teams below them who I want to talk about, I don't necessarily think I'd love Clemson's chances. Now, let me say this. They're very good at winning games at Clemson. They know how to win games even if it's ugly. And so you can never really count them out. But right now, 
like I'm looking at number seven TCU and number eight Oregon. And if they were playing Clemson on a neutral field, I'd have a very hard time picking Clemson. And that's that's interesting. Yeah, I would take Clemson over TCU by probably two touchdowns. Wow. On a yeah, I would. And that's no disrespect to TCU. They're outplaying their they're outplaying themselves right now. Oregon. We should talk about the Ducks because outside of Georgia and Ohio State, I think Oregon matches up the way they're playing with a lot of teams in the country. I'm like trying to think who I would take, who I would continue to take to beat Oregon. I think Oregon Clemson would be a hell of a matchup, and yeah, I think right now you'd pick the Ducks based on the where they're playing. Um, but TCU, no, that's just my aside. All right, well then let's let's talk Oregon. So they beat UCLA 45-30. UCLA came in undefeated. Uh, obviously, it was going to be a tough circumstance for them to go up to Autzen Stadium, which is a very difficult place to play when when Oregon's good and it was rainy and it was cold and it was just like perfect. But Oregon looked great. They looked. I mean, Bo, who is who is this Bo Nix hmm. right now that we're? He's seeing? been incredible. So since the Georgia game, I just looked up these numbers. He's got 17 touchdowns, one pick. He's averaging like nine yards per attempt and change, completing 74.5% of his throws. He's been unreal. First QB, or the third QB, sorry, and the first since might be Mariota to have five touchdown games, two five-touchdown games in the same season. I got through that. Um, so he's been fantastic. And Oregon, uh, 45-30 against UCLA, watching that game, felt like a lot more. They were in control of that game almost from the start. Uh, each of UCLA's touchdowns in the second half came with the Ducks up by 22. Yeah, Just a supremely impressive performance to me on both sides of the ball because a, a lot of the Bruins' damage was meaningless. So I'm really, really impressed with Oregon. Dan Lanning's done an incredible job, I think, with this team this season. They're embracing you know, the tempo right now, uh, but they're also playing solid defense. Um he made a great call for an onside kick that that stole an extra possession kind of out of nowhere. It was, mm-hmm. he's just done an awesome job. What I wrote about in a column on Monday, usatoday.com was that this could be the, the toughest circumstance the selection committee has ever dealt with. We're not going to have playoff rankings until next Tuesday, but I'm going to be really fascinated to see what this committee does with Oregon because, like we said, they've been awesome since week one. But the problem is they had that week one game, they fly to Atlanta to play Georgia, and they just get smacked in the mouth, like right out of the gates, not competitive, 49-3. to It looked like just two different weight classes of football team. But... I also think you can rationalize it in a sense. Listen, you've got new team, new quarterback, new coach. You're flying three time zones away. You are playing the defending national champions in in what amounts to a road game. Like you can see how it gets haywire for Oregon that day. I don't think they're 46 points worse than Georgia. In fact, I know they're like they're they're not. If they play Georgia again tomorrow, it would be a much different game. I'm not saying they would win, but it would go a much different way than it did that day. You can't just write off the result of one out of 12 games. But clearly, that's the different football team, and I don't know what the committee is going to do with them. They're going to listen to this podcast and say exactly what you just said. That's exactly what they're going to say. They're (laughs) going to say, they're going to say, and this is how they speak. This is how they're going to issue it. We are distressed by Oregon's 46-point loss to Georgia in the season over. However, since that point, blah, 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 blah. That's exactly what they're going to say. And it was a first-time coach. And it was basically on the road. It was a season over. The talking points kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, talk for themselves. Um, But I don't know if I'm as much interested where they'll be in the first rankings. I assume they'll be somewhere between 7 and 10. I guess the the big question would be, and and it feels premature to do these hypotheticals, but a situation where Georgia loses to Tennessee, Tennessee beats Alabama, again, thirteen and zero Tennessee. That sounds ridiculous. Eleven and one Georgia against twelve and one Oregon. Twelve and one Oregon, winners of the Pac twelve, 
Eleven and one Georgia failure to win their even their own division, <laughs> but they beat Oregon by forty six points. What oh do they my do god! At that point? Oh my god! That's a disaster of a scenario. So that's down the road, but I'd be really fascinated in seeing that turn out. I'm all for lighting everything on fire and burning down. I've turned into an anarchist since COVID began. So um, I would like to see that happen. Oregon is obviously capable of that. I looked at their schedule. They're going to be favored in every game yeah. the rest of the way. Um, maybe it'll be SC in the conference championship or Utah, whatever, or probably SC because they play Utah. So Oregon can definitely get it done. And they're a fascinating case study for uh how a team can improve under a first-year coach, how you can change direction with a transfer QB, and also for what it would mean to be 12-1 and against an 11-1 team that whipped your butt. So, yeah, you mentioned their schedule. They've got a game this week at Cal. They've got to go to Colorado the following week. You would think those aren't going to be a big issue. They come home and play Washington. Washington's good, but not mm-hmm. they have not been as good as Oregon. So you think having that game at home should favor Oregon. On uh, November 19th, Utah. Now, that's going to be their toughest game uh, mm-hmm. on paper, uh, but it's at home. So that's another big win for Oregon. And then they finish uh, at Oregon State, which is always tricky and tough and rivalry and all that stuff. And Oregon State is 6-2. Is and two. They're good. So it's, it's the last three weeks for Oregon that will sort of define everything. Now, it's worth mentioning the Pac-12 has gone to – a championship game where it's the top two teams. It's not division winners. So, you know, they're probably going to end up going to end up playing USC or UCLA, which would give them another opportunity to get a ranked win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, schedule wise, they're going to have some of that strength coming at the end. So if they can get to 12 and one, I think you have to put them in the mix, but I just don't know if the committee is going to, is going to rationalize that, that opening Loss. It's it's as I wrote in the column. There's only two teams that have ever gotten in to the playoff losing by two touchdowns or more. First year, Ohio State loses that game by two touchdowns to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. They end up getting in and winning the national championship. And then 2017, Georgia got absolutely blasted at Auburn. I think it was 40-17 or 41-17. Mm-hmm. But Georgia had an opportunity a few weeks later in the SEC championship to face that same Auburn team and then Georgia won and gets into the playoff and, and plays that unbelievable game against Oklahoma in the Rose bowl. So, uh, but we really haven't seen anything quite like this, that Oregon would be asking the committee to do. They're just, I think the bottom line is they're going to need a lot of help. Yep. No question about it. All right. So let's talk quickly about TCU. You were not as high on TCU. Let me make the other case here. Um, TCU seven and zero. Seven and zero, and the games that they have just won consecutively: fifty-five twenty-four over Oklahoma, thirty-eight thirty-one at Kansas when Kansas was healthy and rolling. Oklahoma State forty-three forty in in two overtimes. Oklahoma State's a one-loss team, and thirty-eight twenty-eight over Kansas State, who I think is a top twenty caliber team. Absolutely. Their remaining games at West Virginia, Texas Tech at home, at Texas, at Baylor, Iowa State at home. Certainly, I think if TCU is a fraud, they will lose one or two of these games. But I also think it's very realistic they're going to be 12-0. Like, they're just hard to stop. Nobody's been able to catch up with that offense yet. And Max Duggan is just a damn good college quarterback. Yeah. They, yeah, they could definitely run the table. I didn't mean to poo-poo their chances of doing that. They clearly can. I just feel like there's two losses looming because they they have two losses that they avoided the last two weeks. They should have lost to Oklahoma State. They were lucky to force overtime, lucky to win it in double OT. And, you know, they're down 28-10 to Kansas State, and Kansas State is playing without Adrian Martinez, without their top-edge rusher. Um, by and large, Deuce Vaughn misses a chunk of time. Uh, that's a that's an awful loss for Kansas State. That's a game they should have had in their hip pocket at 28-10, even with Will Howard under center. So I do feel like there's a little bit of fortune smiling on them the last couple of weeks. And I'm a big Sonny Dykes uh, fan um, as a coach. I think he's fantastic. I think as an offensive guy, he's one of the best in the country. I'm not surprised that they're this good this fast. And yeah, I, I, I do think that they can play for a Big 12 championship. I just have a hard time looking at the last few weeks as impressive as they've been and being like, 
well, just because they did this means they're going to roll past West Virginia. Part of me feels like they could lose any game on that schedule, any game, yeah. just as well as they can win every single game. And this is just year one. I mean, this is just a tone setter for what he could do with this program based on the way he recruits Dallas and the Metroplex. So there's a lot to like about the team and the direction. I'm just not like I'm going to put these college football football playoff contenders into these tiers into for a post this week. I, I, I'm going to struggle putting TCU in the top two tiers just because for my opinion, I do think there's there's two losses the rest of the way. Okay. And there very well might be, but for now they are riding high and uh, it's looking like just a perfect fit with Sonny Dykes in that program. Want to shout out South Carolina for getting into the AFCA USA Today Sports Coaches Poll at number 25 uh, on the strength of that win over A&M. They're 5-2. and two. Mm. I, I got to say, I did not see Shane Beamer doing this at South Carolina, but like they're going to go back-to-back bowl games here, and they just seem to have a great spirit about the way they play. They are doing the little things right, special teams. They they get positive plays out of the special teams. Um, and that looked like an awesome atmosphere Saturday night. And you know, Shane Beamer, I <laughs> – when he got hired at South Carolina, there was no shortage of people in the coaching profession who um, poo-pooed it, who claimed that he didn't deserve it. Mm. Um, this is a guy who's, who's, you know, he was a special teams coach. He's not a coordinator, certainly, but he was a special teams coach who had a lot of notoriety because of his last name, because his father's one of the great college football coaches of all time. But... I mean, he's making it work right now, and like they're they're tough. Like that that's a game at, at the end of the year. Clemson's gonna have to gonna have to get up for. I think. Yeah, I I just love the way that the way they win. Yeah, and the fact that they win without without doing anything particularly great. It's a combination of all these different factors that they they that they have kind of put into a mixture that will allow them to wait for AM to make mistakes. Yeah, they stay, make mistakes. they stay in games. They stay in games. Yeah. So I, I love the mentality and the mindset. Um, I'm surprised that there would be a, a, a little backlash against Beamer. I understand the last name thing, but he's he's worked for a series of outstanding coaches at some outstanding programs. Kirby Smart, his dad, Spurrier, Lincoln Riley. So I think he earned the opportunity, and I'm loving what he's done there. I wonder what the ceiling is. Like, I wonder if, if they ended up getting – a quarterback who actually could play it at all conference level and getting skilled town if, if the if the ceiling is higher than what it is. But they just find ways to win when you're South Carolina and when you're Missouri or when you're, you know, those two programs specifically. If you can just manage a way to win the games that you're not supposed to lose and then come up and not make mistakes against teams that you will that you can succeed against like an AM and you win six or seven games a year. I just think that's fantastic and outstanding. So he's done a really nice job, a really, really nice job. So I hope people are getting on board. It's not pretty, but it works. Meanwhile, we've got some coaching beef uh, between James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh. Did you see this? So boring. These two guys. (laughs) Do what I love. This is what Harbaugh's like. He's like, I don't want to talk about this. But. But, And then, then he has like six paragraphs talking about it. Um. So we call James Franklin the ringleader of that little kerfuffle they had in the halftime locker room when Michigan beat the pants off Penn State two weeks ago. Apparently Why are were, we still talking about it? Well, apparently there were peanut butter and jelly sandwiches thrown, which, uh, God forbid, you waste food like that. I mean, you don't want that. They could have had their helmets off. What would have happened if they got hit in the face? I would like to see, actually, in slow motion, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich hit Jim Harbaugh in the face. Like those slow motion water balloon explosions that they throw in people's face. I like to see him get slapped in the face. Uh, not a Jim Harbaugh thing. Just he, he'd be funny to see get hit in the face with peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's Let's a bad sandwich this. though. It's a bad sandwich to be hit with because like if it's a ham sandwich or a turkey sandwich, you can, you know, kind of wipe it off. You can brush it off. The peanut butter and jelly is going to stick to you. It's going to, it's going to be really nasty. I disagree with you 100%. So this is the thing, right? So if you are, uh, if you get hit in the head with a bottle or with a glass, this has obviously never happened to me. But just from the physics of it, you want the you want the glass to break. 
because then that will diffuse all the tension across a broader surface area and it won't be as bad. You don't want the bottle to like remain in one piece because then it's boing, right? Okay. So for me, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, um, oh wait, I think I'm agreeing with you. Yes, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich stays full. Like you're not, no, like when you throw a ham sandwich, lettuce, tomato, ham, basically by the time it hits your face, you're getting hit with mayonnaise bread, right? And that's fine. PB&J will stay in one piece. I'm agreeing with you, Dan. PB&J will stay in one piece and provide a, a really satisfying thwack on your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I did not know it was about PB&J. I really didn't. Was there any milk involved? Because Jim Harbaugh, I'm sure, has milk with his PB&J. Well, I think the issue is that James Franklin says that the tunnel is the problem. Uh, that that was the reason why there was jawing and throwing of sandwiches. And um, Harbaugh was asked about it and said, I've really got bigger fish to fry than Coach Franklin's opinion on the halftime tunnel from a game ago. I mean, all they've got to do is walk into their locker room. I think you saw pretty clearly that they completely stopped. They weren't letting us get up the tunnel. It seemed like such a sophomore ploy to try to keep us out of our locker room. And he looked like he was the ringleader of the whole thing. But no, I've got bigger fish to fry than to worry about that kind of whining. Okay. <laughs> sure. I don't think Jim Harbaugh eats fish, personally. <laughs> Just steak. I don't. No, Just no, steak. no fish. How's the fish in Ann Arbor, by the way? I don't think I'd order the Probably good walleye. They get you know the, the yeah, walleye there, or the There's great freshwater lakes. fish. Yeah. Yeah, freshwater fish. Yeah, let's let's leave this one in the past. You beat them by twenty four points, you ran for four hundred and fifteen yards. Let's just let it go. Put on your khakis and let it go. But or, are, or take off your khakis. I mean, do you have a side here? Do you take a side in this debate? Uh, I take the side of the guy who threw the first sandwich. Um, whoever was the first person to throw the sandwich, I'm that team. I'm with them because any that's a food fight. And I've only been in a food fight a couple of times. My life has been a really long time, and I would love to be in a situation where there was where I was in an active food fight um, with just food, no utensils or glasses or anything. <laughs> All right, so speaking of Penn State, we'll move on to the games coming up this week. They host Ohio State. I don't really understand why this wasn't the whiteout game in primetime. Penn State last week had the whiteout against Minnesota. I don't really I, I don't really get it. I guess it's a TV thing. It's above yeah. my head. Uh, but it's a noon game. You know, Penn State recovered from that Michigan thing. They took care of business against Minnesota, Ohio State um, does not quite look fully formed yet, if that makes sense. I mean, they're still kind of like dealing with some injuries and it doesn't it doesn't look 100 percent right. And yet you look at the scores and they're kicking the crap out of everybody they've played. So what do you expect from the Buckeyes? Really, I think, in their first legitimate test of the season. Yeah, you make a good point about Ohio State. Like, uh, against the best teams in their schedule, they aren't 60 minutes complete. And a lot of teams aren't. No. But they're more like 25 minutes complete. And those 25 minutes, they, they could probably beat the Jets. But for those twenty, for those other 35, it's not quite in sync. So that's something to be concerned about. If they had played last week, before Penn State played Minnesota, I'd say Ohio State was just going to roll them. They probably still will. But the way Penn State played on Saturday, I don't know if it's a response to Michigan um, I don't know if just they, they needed to lose a game to kind of get their minds right, but they played just a much more coherent, cohesive game, much more energized, both sides of the ball. So if they can carry that into Saturday, yeah, I, I think the point of Ohio State not being truly tested by a really great team or even a really good team yet, might there might be something there. Um I'm picking Ohio State by by double digits, but I do think that I feel better about Penn State today. Way obviously, way better today than I did this point last week. I think if they carry that energy over, they could really they could make it really interesting, and I'd be excited to see how Ohio State responds to that. Well, I've got Ohio State as a 15 and a half point favorite. That's a lot of points in Beaver Stadium. I think it's actually going to be a close game. I think Ohio State wins by a touchdown. Hmm. Okay, yeah, totally. I don't think Ohio State loses this game. And I think that touchdown score is all contingent on Sean Clifford. Does he turn the ball over or does he not? Does he convert on third down or does he not? Um, if he if he does on the first half of both those questions, yeah, I think they're really in this game. If if it's a quarterback game, 
And you can really see that delineation between a Stroud and a Clifford, which is always obvious to us. It could get out of hand. So yeah, Penn State plays their game. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think they can keep it close and be in this game in the second half or even into the fourth quarter. Also in the noon window, you've got TCU in Morgantown. Tough place to play. And West Virginia plays well there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if TCU lets down emotionally at all after sort of the string of tough games they've played that you go to West Virginia, you think, ah, it's no big deal. It's just West Virginia. And then they get popped. So uh, we'll see if they're up for that. Notre Dame is at Syracuse. We'll see if the Orange can get back on track. Oklahoma at Iowa State. Not else a lot I'm interested in here in, in the noon window. I don't know if you've got any, any thoughts. I mean, Georgia tech, yeah, Florida I mean, state. Well, Miami, Virginia, we're on, oh, we're on, on dumpster fire alert. Jeez. I don't even want to think about that game. The way Virginia plays, the way Miami plays. No, it's all, oh. That's an awful game. Oh Lord. Yeah. But, that, but, that's but, it. We, I, hate, but we hate Ohio college state, football. We hate college football. So that's why. Yeah. We're, we're, this is, this is not what we like to do. I don't, I don't like this at all. I, I hate it. But Ohio State, Penn State, that's your game for noon. That'll get you to 340. Where are we Is have... that game on Fox? That game's on Fox. That'll get yeah. you to 445. <laughs> they Fox do tend joke. to drag a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then at 330, we've got the cocktail party, Florida, Georgia in Jacksonville. Florida is 4-3. and three. Georgia 7-0. and oh. Georgia is a 22-and-a-half-point favorite. <laughs> I think I think Georgia wins. I don't know if they cover because I this game always gets weird in some way. I don't know if they cover, but yeah, Georgia's a way better team. Yeah, I don't like Florida's chances in this one. No. Good Big Twelve game at three thirty. Oklahoma State at Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State's a, a slight favorite. It's it's almost a pick 'em. Um, what do you think? I mean, Oklahoma State. <laughs> They had to come back against Texas, uh, and they they were beat up in that game. I mean, they they lo- they were losing guys right and left. Mike Gundy, you know, strange guy, but they the last few years, man, they they don't lose a lot of games that that they're not supposed to lose. Like they find a way. Yeah, a little bit of a renaissance. Not that they went anywhere, but no. it's been ten years since they had this kind of run in back to back or three straight years. So. If you had forgotten that Mike Gundy is an ins- just an insanely good football coach, this is your reminder. I think I've been a big Kansas State proponent since the summer. I just think that this team, if they're if they're rocking and they're all healthy, that this is the best team in the Big 12. I know that sounds ridiculous because they've already lost twice. But I think if Adrian Martinez is healthy, Deucevon stays on the field, this is a game they win. Because I just have a hard time with a feast or famine, Spencer Sanders, like getting on board with Oklahoma State. like. This has been an October that, you know, has given up people whiplash with Spencer Sanders. He's the key to the whole deal. He's good against Texas Tech, or good against Baylor. He's completing less than 50% of his throws against Texas Tech and against um, uh, TCU. Even last week against Texas, like the, 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 the numbers aren't fantastic, but he does find a way to lead them to wins. So you, d- you just don't know what you're going to get. If he's playing up to the standard of last week or his se- September standard, I think they can win this game. But it's hard for me to get on board and, and feel really confident. So if they're healthy, I'm going with the Wildcats. Really big game on Saturday, three 30 for Illinois going to Nebraska. This is the game that really will set the table for Illinois kind of putting the hammer lock on, on the big 10 West. Um, not that they, they couldn't lose, uh, but you know, they've got a game coming up at Michigan, November 19th. All the rest of their games are going to be pretty heavily favored in. So if they can win this one, if they can go on the road and beat Nebraska, I I, I wouldn't say it's a lock, but I, I think they're if they win this one, I think they're going to win that division. So they've beaten Wisconsin already. Yep. They they have not played Iowa yet. Am I right? Or am I forgetting about that game? Uh, they no, they beat Iowa nine six. Remember? That's nine, why you, of course. That's why you forgot. Yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. And they've I already beat, and they've beaten Minnesota. Right, they beat Minnesota. So, uh, you know. Purdue losing last week. Well, they're five and three. I know that. So yeah, Illinois got this kind of on cruise control. They got to beat Nebraska. You know, Nebraska is a team that stinks on both lines. Illinois is really good on both lines. So I like the Illini in this one. How could you pick Nebraska against any team with a pulse? Burt back in the mix. Unbelievable. 
incredible, right? It is unbelievable. I heard, I heard some stories about his time at the end of his tenure at Arkansas that really had me thinking that he would never coach again. Like just because he didn't, just didn't seem like he was up for like starting over again, like had that energy to do it over again. But I've been proven so wrong by that. A lot of it has to do with the fact that Big Ten West is garbage, but I have to give him credit. No, they're, they're good. He's ba- yeah, he's back in, in familiar ground. He's using his formula, his blueprint for success in this conference. And even if the Big Ten West was really good and they this team was just five and three or four and three, whatever the math would end up being, I would still be really impressed with the with the way that he's turned it around. They were so just stale and dull under Lovey Smith. Just so predictably dumb and stupid and dull that I really I just really liked what he's done there. So I'm excited about the future of that program as long as he hangs around. All right, on to the 7 p.m. window. Clearly the biggest game is Kentucky at Tennessee. Tennessee, 7-0. and They kind of had their um, – it wasn't a bye week, but it was almost a bye week uh, in, in playing Tennessee Martin coming off the Alabama win. Kentucky is 5-2, and two, and you know they're, they're getting back to health. They beat Mississippi State uh, when we last saw them a couple weeks ago. This is going to be interesting because I think this is going to be a game for Tennessee where Kentucky's going to have a lot of time to prepare defensively. And I think it's going to be a real test. I know it's in Knoxville, which which is at night. It's going to be rocking. But I think this is going to be a real test for Tennessee. Yeah, it's hard to like really beat this team at Kentucky. Like you've got to you've got to really have it working to do to Tennessee or do to Kentucky what they did to LSU, for example, 40. Yeah. You really got to be operating at a high level. Kentucky's offense has against Mississippi state. Will Levis was healthy. Rodriguez was in the backfield and they had almost 500 yards of offense. It's not a coincidence. Right. I love the fact, like you said, that they've had ample time to get ready for this game. And especially on defense would not shock me in the least if Kentucky wins this game, not just plays tight, but wins this game. I think I'd take Tennessee because of the fact it's at home and at night, but they've got to be ready for a dogfight because Kentucky will get you like in a really small space and start hitting you in the stomach. And you got to be prepared for that. I, I just think this is a hell of a game. And Dan, I think it's, it's, it's bigger than Georgia in, in a way it's bigger than Georgia because you can lose to Georgia and backdoor your way in to the playoff. You oh, can. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a playoff. You can't backdoor your way into the SEC championship. Yeah, you can yeah. backdoor your way in at eleven and one. If they lose on Saturday, they got to run the table. And that's yeah. not just Georgia. That's Alabama for a second time in December. Um, and that is that's a lot to ask. So this is an enormous game. Enormous, enormous game for Tennessee and for this program. They don't want to go as far as they think they can go this year. I agree with you one hundred percent. I would take Tennessee, but I do think Kentucky. We'll give them a run. 7.30 ABC game. You got Michigan State at Michigan. This was, for people who remember a year ago, kind of the game where Michigan State got taken seriously for the first time. And they they delivered the only loss that Michigan had in the regular season. Uh, I think this one is going to be a revenge plus, plus, plus type of game for Michigan. Jim Harbaugh is going to treat this thing like the Super Bowl. Yeah. I was going to go beyond that. I was going to say treat it like storming the beach at Normandy. <laughs> like this is going to be it's not even just the Super Bowl. It is beyond that. Uh, I think he knows I know maybe he doesn't. Like here's like we always talk about coaches like I think but I have no idea what Harbaugh's thinking. So who maybe could, I'm off. who could ever get in the, that I guy's head? Clue. Right. He's I don't even know. He's he's probably thinking about He's honestly probably thinking about a storm in the beaches at Normandy. He's thinking about World War II right now. Um, I think that he realizes what a loss would mean, not just for this team, but just for the symbolism of it. To lose. Well, and there's recruiting implications. Yeah. 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 It goes way deep. And Michigan State's not good. They are not good. Their secondary is abysmal. I don't know what they do well. They're a tremendously average team. Um, so Michigan should stop them. And I think they're going to have the motivation to do that with an exclamation point, and then a PS, and then a PPS, and just roll. 
if they had their druthers, they're going to roll. And then uh, not a lot else in the primetime window worth watching. Pitt is going to North Carolina, which is kind of a key game for the uh, Coastal. Ole Miss at A&M, which you're going to want to watch just to see mm-hmm. what the heck happens with, with the Aggies. Um, Ole Miss is actually favored in College Station. There could be like some serious boo bird activity. Like this game has the potential to me, like if Ole Miss is up like 21 to three, that, that like, it just gets very ugly for Jimbo. This is the, this is the week where you need to, to bring this all full circle, go to techsags.com and create a guest account just to see what the chit chat is like on Saturday when they're down 21, three or when they lose this game, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be hilarious. Um, this, the, the problem with Texas A&M is you need to score points to to win football games, and they struggle to do that. Ole Miss does not struggle to do that. Among other things, they do well. They just like to score points, except against LSU. So it could get uh, really funny and really sad simultaneously. I'm sure there's a word for that in German. Funny, sad, simultaneously. That's Texas A&M. <laughs> the only German word I know is uh, Schadenfreude, which kind of makes sense here as well. A lot of people yeah, with them Schadenfreude. About I know some German curse words that would also work in this case, um, but that's that's pretty much it. All right, that's all the time we've got for this week. Thanks for listening to the College Football Fix. We drop new episodes every Tuesday discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to the College Football Fix wherever you listen to podcasts and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. For producer Emily doing a great job. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Wolkin. We'll talk to you same time, same place next week. The College Football Fix Podcast. 